Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. Come on now. Come on. All right. Well, hey, I am so excited to be on stage today and to be sharing and speaking. Um, It's good to be back. We've been a little off because we had our baby girl. And so thank you all for, for praying for us and checking in and sending meals and all the good stuff. Um, Nessa's doing really good. She's at home resting, and uh, we'll probably be back soon as a whole family, but we're taking our time, uh, making sure she's good. And then Psalm is great. Uh, She's super cute. She's feisty. Pray for me. Uh, We call her Sami Salsa because she's got a little bit of spice. And obviously she's Mexican, so that just kind of works, you know. Um, But uh, it's going really good and uh, just very excited to be back behind the pulpit today um, to be able to share what's on my heart and to speak to my family. For those that do not know me, my name is Pastor Chris. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at Thrive and incredibly honored to be at this church and to serve you and to to speak this morning. And um, Pastor Ben spoke last week on our series, Your Story Matters. Can we just give it up for Pastor? Pastor Ben, great job. And I just, I don't know about you, but I just, I love this series. I think I love every series, but this one's really special and significant for me. Uh, I just, I just love hearing what God has done in people's lives. Like I, I just can't, I just can't get over it. I can't get over it. And what's really cool about this series as we've been going through each week, hearing different people on staff and their stories, um, you begin to realize that it's not their story, it's, it's, it's really God's story. And it's so cool to hear God's story interwoven in the lives of individuals we see every day. And, and it's been really awesome that a lot of groups have also been connecting with the series as well. And they've been sharing their stories. And, and I just believe that this summer, God is shifting something internally in this house, in our hearts, that we would remember what it's like to love Jesus when we first got saved. We would believe that no one is too far or too lost or too broken for the gospel. And that we would be a place where at any moment God can come and transform someone's life. It doesn't matter if it's on a Sunday, in a group, at an outreach, whatever we do here, we believe that Jesus would use us to encounter people with his love and his grace and that by his power, people would get transformed. That's what goes through my mind as I'm hearing these stories every week. I don't know what's going through your mind, Maybe it's like, wow, they had a crazy life. Or man, that's a lot of drama. Or man, I want to go to In-N-Out because I'm a little bored. I don't know what's going on through your mind, but that's what's going through my mind. And I just think it's really powerful and really special. And so today I have the privilege of sharing my story. And I don't know about you, but you ever think back on your story and you're like, huh, that's a lot. Anybody? Like, like I, I got a novella. For real. And I was even thinking about it this week as I was preparing and I was getting ready. Um, I was like, man, we can do just a whole series on my story. But we're not going to do that because I'm not a character in the Bible. And I feel like that would be heretical to talk four weeks on my story. So we'll just spend one week. And um, one of the things that I, I was so excited to share this morning at, at first service and to be able to share this morning is I, I don't feel that my story is necessar- necessarily uh, better or greater. I, I don't. Um, it's just mine. It's just mine. And the beauty of, of my story is it really is a story of, of, of brokenness and hurt and loss, uh, but then also a story 
of healing and transformation. I remember uh, a few months ago, we were on stage, me and uh, Pastor Eric, who used to be our, our lead pastor here and is now our pastor emeritus here on, on, on the team, and, and we were doing an interview, and, and Pastor Eric said something that uh, I needed to be reminded of, and he said that uh, Pastor Chris being on this stage is a miracle. And um, today I'm excited because I feel like all I'm going to do is share with you how the miracle took place. Because I do believe, not in a boastful way, that it is a miracle, that, I'm a mir- that it is a miracle that I'm on stage. Not because I'm special or I'm holy or I'm anointed, none of that, none of that. It's that if you would begin to understand my life, you would begin to understand what God has actually done and what he's brought me out of. And um, the beauty about what God's done in my life is I believe that it's very similar to other people's lives. And it is from this place, I wanna share with you, that, that, that from what I've been through and, and the things that have happened, that I really feel I preach and speak from and, and where the authority comes from. It's not from this, this, this high place or this place of I feel like I'm the best or I'm the greatest, but no, in a lot of ways, I'm still this kid who God rescued from East LA and who God saved his life. And so let me just go ahead and jump right into it. And for me, uh, I think for most of us, our stories kind of don't start with us, but they kind of start with our parents. And so I wanna start there. And so growing up, I grew up in LA um, I was born uh, in 1993, 29 years old, grew up in L.A., and um, it starts with really my mom and dad. And so a little bit of backstory even for my dad. Um, my, my dad wa- was born in, I believe, SoCal as well, and my dad was f- the fourth generation of fatherlessness in his family. And so my great-great-grandfather Um, Actually, the way our story goes is my great-great-grandfather sexually assaulted my great-great-grandmother, and that's how we were born. And so we don't know who he is. We don't even know if Scoes is our last name, but it just kind of landed like that. And so my father grew up without a father, and his father grew up without a father, and his father grew up without a father. And so generations of fatherlessness, like years and years and years of fatherlessness, uh, years and years of addiction, of alcoholism, uh, years and years of, of marriage betrayal and womanizing and misogyny, and that's just on my father's side. On my mother's side, my mother also grew up without a father. Her father was an alcoholic, and so my grandmother um, tried to do her very best and tried to raise two daughters on her own. Uh, The problem was, though, on both sides of the family, there was no sense of Jesus really around. Um, I tell people we were kind of Catholic. Anybody, anybody, anybody used to be kind of Catholic? You know what I'm talking about? Like you're kind of, you say you're Catholic, but you're not really Catholic, right? You just go for like Easter and Christmas, let's be honest. We were kind of Catholic. We were kind of Catholic. And, um, and so grew up in, in, in that kind of setting, but, but not at all a religious household, not at all any context of Christianity uh, for the most part. And so my mom and my dad meet. My dad was uh, 15 and my mom was 12. And uh, by the time my mom is 15, she gets pregnant with me. And so my dad was 17, my mom was 15. And so my mom had me at 16 years old. And my dad had me at 17 turning 18. My mom, by the time she was a freshman in high school, because of the emptiness of her heart and the brokenness of her heart, my mom is a full-on drug addict by this time. 
She's a freshman. She's addicted to meth and other drugs. And she meets my dad who is involved in the gang life in Southern California. And the reason why is because he didn't have a father and, and he was raised by a single mom. And when you don't have a family dynamic that's healthy, you, you tend to go look for other places for love, right? And, and that's what my parents did. And it just so happened, these two broken, hurt people found each other. And in 1993, they had the cutest little Mexican baby ever. And in all actuality, what's kind of funny, I shared this first service, so I'm gonna let you in a little secret. I am Mexican, but I'm also mostly Brazilian. And that's kind of why if you even see me, you're like, what is he? Is he, is he like Asian? Is he Brazilian? What, what, is he South American? He's Mexican. I'm actually Brazilian. But I always say I'm Mexican because there really, there's no Brazilian jokes. Let's just be honest. And so the Mexican jokes work. And so I am born with generations of brokenness on my dad's side. And generations of brokenness on my mom's side. And nowhere is Jesus. Nowhere is any form of, of Christianity. And I am born into a life that is completely centered around drugs and addiction and gangs and all the stuff that the world would offer but would decay someone's soul. That was my reality growing up. And, and the funny thing about it is, is how many of you know that you don't really know it's bad when you're a little kid? Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Like you, you don't really know that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Because you're little. This is, this is all you know. Every, every, this is totally normal. And, and, and what began to happen in my, in my child years is I, I was, you know, just a normal kid but I was raised in such unhealthy dysfunction. And, and by the time I started getting older, my, my, I started realizing, my body started reacting. I started realizing what is actually taking place. Um, by the time I graduated high school, I went to 16 different schools. I went to more schools than grades because growing up in a drug addict family, most of the time, your parents, it's either rent or drugs and they pick drugs. And my parents tried the best they could, and I loved my parents, but they, they only could love me to the capacity of what they knew love was. And so they loved me in their brokenness. And because of that, they, there, there was so many things that got diluted in the process. And so growing up, I thought I had a pretty normal childhood, but in all reality, it was really bad. It, it was really crucial. Growing up, I remember just days where it was just fighting, I remember, you know, plates smashing against the, the, the walls and, 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 and food fights and stuff. Luckily, I, I don't recall my dad ever beating my mom, and I don't think that was the reality of, of, of the situation. So he never physically abused, abused her, but a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of verbal abuse, a lot of addiction, um, a lot of brokenness, a lot of heaviness. I remember starting to grow up, and, and I remember wanting to always be with my grandma and my aunt. And I remember only being with my grandma and my aunt because growing up, my parents were kind of in a way ostracized from the family because of their life. Because let's be honest, they, they weren't the family that like you invited, oh, you invite over for Thanksgiving, okay? They had stuff, they had like issues. And so it was just us. And my grandma and my aunt loved us to death and loved me to death. And, and so I remember as I was getting older, four or five years old, um, what began to take place in my heart is I started feeling really uncomfortable at home. I started 
I don't know why. In my mind, I was like, everything's fine. It's mom and dad. But in my heart and in my body, my body started to physically react. I remember throwing up a lot because that's how my body was physically reacting to the mental stress and the things that were happening in my life where I would get physically sick. And it wasn't the flu, but I would constantly throw up. I remember crying to my grandma and my, my Nina, my aunt, telling them, I don't want to go home. I don't want to go home. I want to stay here. I don't want to go home. And I didn't understand why I didn't want to go home. Again, I'm five years old. And then around six, seven years old, uh, a key moment is, is we, we moved around a lot, but, but, but a really key moment, around six, seven years old, we moved to a, a little town called Azusa. It's kind of bigger now in, in SoCal. I moved around a lot. And so we land there. And, and I have no idea why, but my father decides to put me into Christian school. It's like the most random thing in the world. And let me be honest, I learned more bad things at Christian school than real school. I learned all the bad words. I got in fights. It was rough. And, and my parents now have three kids. Like, they just kept having kids. I was like, why do you guys keep having kids? This is not a good idea. Like, now that I think back at it. Like, I barely have two. And thank you, Jesus, we have two. For some of you that have more than two, I don't know how you do it. I am praying for you daily. That's a mission. My mom had three kids before she was, let me see, we're all four years apart. So by the time she was 22 years old, 23 years old, crazy. And so we're, we're living in this little apartment and it starts to hit ahead. Years, uh, it starts to get to a breaking point. Years of brokenness and betrayal and addiction and dysfunction. It, it started getting really bad. Uh, I remember my dad would just disappear weeks on end. And I, I am now starting to realize this is not okay. I remember waking up in the middle of the night and seeing my parents in the bathroom crying. They're probably loaded. Um, I remember seeing like them with friends and they're smoking. I thought it was cigarettes, but it was, it was, it was probably other stuff. Um, I, I, I remember um, having just random people come to the house and I didn't know who they were. Um, and, and then in one day in particular, I was so stressed out from the fighting. I was so stressed out from the brokenness. I was so stressed out from the spiritual climate that my parents created. See, because that's what you and I have to understand. Sin has consequences. And it creates a spiritual climate that you might not understand, but innocence can feel it. That's why it's so important to really follow Jesus and not allow anything else other than the spiritual condition of heaven in our homes. I am five, six, seven years old, experiencing a demonic climate in my house, and I don't even realize it because that's all I know. I'm throwing up. And literally at seven years old, I'm in the shower one day and I, and I call my mom because as I'm taking a shower, clumps of hair are falling out of my head. I'm losing my hair at seven years old. They go to the doctors and the doctor said, it's because of the stress I experience. At 11 years old, because of the stress I experienced, had kidney stones at 11 years old because of the things I went through. And finally around seven or eight, my parents decide to split up and it's a nasty custody battle. I didn't really remember any of it because, like I said, we were kind of broke. And at, at the L.A. courthouse, they had a PlayStation 2, which was pretty dope. So I would just go hang out in their daycare center and play PlayStation 2 because that was pretty awesome. My dad was a functioning addict. And so my dad was able to hide it. My mom was not a functioning addict. My mom was beautiful. But she was very real and authentic. And so she's either all in and all out or all out. 
She was either, she was going to go all in in drugs or all in with Jesus. It, it, it didn't matter. And so my mom loses the custody battle. My dad gains custody of us. This is around second, third grade now. And at eight, nine years old, around, I think about a couple months, maybe a couple weeks, it's kind of blurry, but uh, very soon after my dad wins the custody battle over me and my brothers, my dad gets caught trafficking drugs from Tijuana to San Diego, gets sentenced to jail for 10 years. And what you have to understand is my dad was like my best friend. And I think every son, their dad is like their best friend. He was my hero. And my dad even would take me on trips when he would do his deals. We would go to McDonald's and he would bribe me with chicken nuggets because I was a chubby little Mexican kid. <laughs> and he would, we would do his deals, but my dad didn't have really good eyesight because of the drug addiction. And so I would be the one that would help him read the freeway signs because I knew how to read at a young age. I would help him read the freeway signs because he didn't want to wear his glasses because he was too cool for them. And even today, as I drive through SoCal, I remember things because I remember driving with my dad. My dad was so engulfed in the drug addiction life, and finally, the drug gang life caught up to him, and he was sentenced to prison. I remember him dropping, off at my, dropping me off at my grandma's house with my brothers. He said, hey, I'm going to go away for a while. I love you. And then two weeks later, I get a letter from him that he's in jail. And it broke me. Because my mom already left because she lost us in the custody battle. So I lost my mom. And then very soon, in the same year, I lose my dad, and I'm a third grader, and now I'm living with my grandma and my aunt, and I'm broken. Now, thank God for my grandma and my Nina who adopted me. Thank God that they helped get me out of that. But because I was in that spiritual climate for so long, it now was inside of me, not just outside of me. And so those years were really tough. There was a small season in between where I actually lived with my mom because my mom got custody first and then my grandma and my aunt had to fight for custody for my mom. And so I lived in house to house from boyfriend to boyfriend, uh, drug home to drug home. And finally my grandparents, my grandma and my Nina were like, we're not doing that. We're not letting them live like that. We're gonna take them. And so they, they, they put me in their home and, and it's stable and on the outside it's cool, but on the inside I am broken and I am dying and I'm hurting. I am in third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, eight to 12 years old, and I hate life, family, because my dad's left me, and my mom's left me. I feel broken, I feel hurt, I feel betrayed, I feel lost, I don't feel like someone really loves me, and then this whole time, Jesus in my brain isn't around. I remember when I was younger, a kid at school told me about God, and I literally told that kid, God's not real. I was a self-proclaimed 10-year-old atheist because I knew everything about the world at 10 years old. But really what it was is it was my brokenness that was speaking through me. And man, it was hard to go through what I went through, especially on days like Father's Day and Mother's Day. I remember Father's Day was like the worst. I remember making stuff for Father's Day and, and I would see the kids, they would go and pass it out to their dad and, and I had no dad to pass it to and so I would throw it in the trash or give it to my grandma or my aunt. I don't know what I would do with it, but, but I, I would hate it. I, it was miserable and I was, I was so mad and angry and bitter at the world and, and my soul was so lost. And I'm telling you, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, I am experiencing things that I know I should have never experienced, but those are the cards handed to me. And why do I give such a vivid picture of my story? Because the reality is, is this, is there's people even in this room or watching online where your story was the same story. 
and you've been through some things. And the reality is, is maybe you're not in this room. You have to know that there are some times where you do not get the cards dealt to you, that there's people that you might be sitting next to that had everything wrong in their life. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is, is it doesn't matter what's happened before, God can turn anything around. My story is not a story of me making myself better. No, my story is a story of a broken, messed up kid from East LA area who didn't have any purpose or hope or future in life. And God decides to step up on the scene and it doesn't matter what the brokenness is. It doesn't matter what my parents done. It doesn't matter what's happened. It doesn't matter how I feel in my heart. And he shows up and he transforms my life from the inside out. This is the Jesus that you and I serve. This is the Jesus that you and I worship. Jesus is not just this person on a throne that just looks down upon us and that hates us, but he's the God that gets involved in the affairs of man and he goes into people's hearts and he doesn't care how broken or hurt they are and he does something from the inside out. I'm 10, 11, 12, hate school hate life, and I, I, knew how to, I knew how to fake it really well because kids really know how to fake it. That's why I'm so passionate about reaching young people, your kids, teenagers, because they're going through stuff like this today. It doesn't start when they're 30 or they're 18, it's now. And so my dad is in prison, and we would call each other, and my dad sends me or calls me and he says, hey, Chris, I, I got I to gotta tell you about someone. And some of you have heard this part of the story. He says, I got I to tell you about someone I met in prison. I said, okay, who do you, you want to tell me about? And he goes, I want to tell you about this guy named Jesus. And I was like, dad, that's not how you say his name. Because I lived in L.A. and we had a lot of Mexicans and they call themselves Jesus. So I tell him, dad, that's not how you say his name. His name's Jesus. And I'm thinking it's a cellmate. And he's like, nope, I met this guy named Jesus. I met God. And I was like, oh no, my dad's on drugs again. <laughs> I said, okay, dad, well, I'm gonna get off the phone now. And I just, it was weird. For about a year, my dad starts telling me the gospel over the phone. My dad gets radically saved in prison. My dad gets so saved like save saved, not like kind of saved. You know what I'm talking about? You know how people, you, you know, you might've even been like kind of saved and then you really decided to follow Jesus. My dad gets so saved. We're like a Holy Ghost church here. If you didn't know that, that's okay. Um, my dad gets so saved. He spoke in tongues for two weeks instead of English saved. Like he got saved, saved. He got rocked. And every conversation, he's having conversations with me and saying, Chris, I gotta tell you about Jesus. And he's sharing with me the Bible and he's sharing with me the gospel. And, and, I, and I don't believe him because my reality of my life does not match up to what he's telling me about God. And so I remember the day he got out of prison. And I kid you not, this dude could have walked right past us. That's how different he looked. And it was not because he was buff because he got out of prison. There was a glow to him. God transformed this man. I remember hugging him. And I remember talking to him in person. And I remember thinking to myself, you are not my dad inside out miracle. And I remember getting in the car that day, June 21st. It was the same day I got married years later. It's one of my favorite days of the year. 
And I told God, I said, God, if you could transform him, if you could, this is what I said. I said, God, if you can do that, maybe you can do something with me. A few weeks later, you ever have a day where you just get mad at Jesus? Come on, it's okay. You can be honest. You ever get mad at God? I don't recommend this. You ever like cuss God out? You probably shouldn't. That was me. And I'm having a conversation with God that I don't believe in. I, I love what Lillian Lake Craig says. He says, you only argue about things that are real. No one has an argument about Santa Claus. <laughs> so like, right, I'm not arguing to Santa because Santa's not real, but I'm arguing with God. I'm 12 years old, self-proclaimed atheist. My dad just got out of prison. Something's happening in my heart. And all of a sudden I'm having a conversation with God. And guys, I'm having a conversation with God. I am mad at God. I'm, I'm saying words I'm not supposed to. I would have got my pastor's license taken away if I repeat them. I'm yelling. I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm telling God, you don't love me. You don't care. If you were real, you wouldn't have let me go through this. If you were real, you would have, you would have, you would have kept my father around. If you're real, my mom would be in my life. If you're real, this and that and this and that. And all of a sudden, I feel something happen in the room. It was so crazy. And, and all of a sudden, something like shifts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you don't know, it's okay. One day you might. It's the presence of God that comes in the room. The presence of God enters my bedroom in this little home in, in Whittier, California. And he enters my bedroom and, and I hear myself talking to myself because that's how the Holy Spirit talks to me. I don't know if anybody can relate. but So it wasn't like an audible voice, but it was like myself talking to myself. But it sounded so crazy that it wasn't myself. <laughs> Some of you are like, what? That's what that is? That's what that is. You're not that special. You're not that smart. It's the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I'm angry. I'm bitter. And I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, stop talking. He says, I've loved you. I've always loved you. And I will never stop loving you. And I begin to weep. I begin to weep and weep. And, and listen, I'm, I'm an emotional dude, okay? So it's not like it was the first time I ever cried. No, like, I thank God for my wife because my wife's like my rock. She's like this. She's just steady. I'm the one that's like all over the place. <laughs> I begin to weep. And, 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 I, and I, I would cry myself to sleep a lot because I was really hurt and I was really broken. I was really desperate. I hated my life. I would have thoughts like no one would show up to my funeral and it would be better if I killed myself and... Um, no one loves me and no one cares. I, and that's, what, that's the reality I lived. But for the first time in my life, I wept not because I was broken, but because I felt like someone loved me. A few weeks later, a few months later, that's, that's around June, July. A few months later, my dad takes me to church and we go to a little black church in Crenshaw, California. And boy, was it church. <laughs> we were the only Mexicans there. It was like 40 people and there was four Mexicans and everyone else was black and they had church and it was a blast. I remember sitting in the front row with all 40 of us. There was no AC. They gave us the little fan things because there was no AC and it was the summer. It was hot like it was this week and the pastor's preaching and they do church. They don't do church like how we do church. You guys have it lucky. They do church for like three hours. They do like an hour and a half worship. They do a 30 minute offering message and then they do another message. Some of y'all are like, I don't know why they keep asking for money. We don't. Easy. And pastor's preaching. 
the pastor's wife, she's preaching and I'm sitting in the front and everyone's shouting her down. So I'm shouting her down. I'm like, come on, you go, preach it. I have no idea what I'm doing. My brother starts dancing in worship. Next thing you know, he's doing the worm on stage. I don't know what's happening. It's chaos. True story. They let him come on stage. This is like the first time we ever visited. Imagine the first time someone ever came to Thrive and some little kid's just doing the worm. I'm like, it never happened. Pastor does an altar call and says, if you don't know Jesus, you're not gonna go to heaven. You need to know Jesus. And my dad looks at me, he goes, has you ever accepted Jesus in your heart? I'm like, I don't know. He goes, probably not. You should get saved. <laughs> that was August of 2004. And it's been 17, 18 years this year that I accepted Jesus in my heart. Had an encounter with God in my bedroom. Accepted Jesus in the local church. Found another church very shortly that lived close to home and was discipled. And I tell you that my life has been a life from that day forward. I haven't been perfect, but what I have been is I've said yes to God every step of the way. I stand on this stage not as someone who is accomplished, but as someone who is willing to just say yes. My life is a miracle because not only did God redeem and restore and heal my past, but also gave me a future. And all I needed to do was step up and say, yes, God, I'll follow you every step of the way. And so there's a story in the book of Matthew. I'm gonna close right now. And it's one of my favorite stories in, in the entire Bible. It's the one I probably relate to probably the most. And, and that's what I've asked every pastor when they, when they share in this series, give me a scripture or a passage that you relate to the most. And it's Matthew chapter nine and, and it's verse nine through 13. And it says this, it says that Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him and Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but to sinners. I believe, and I've shared this before on this stage, that the scariest words that Jesus can tell a man are those two words that he called Matthew, follow me. It's the scariest words because he calls you to lose your life, but then in losing your life, you find it in Jesus. And that's what God did to me at 12 years old. Imagine here in this story, Jesus is passing by this tax collector named Matthew. In the Bible, his name was actually Levi. In Mark and Luke, he's called by Levi, but in Matthew, because he's the one that wrote the book of Matthew, he calls him by the name that Jesus changed it. And here you have in this story, Jesus is passing by. He's just hanging out. He's going from one city to the next with his disciples. And there's a crowd following him. And he decides to stop at a tax collector, a person who is the lowest of low of society, a person who steals from Jews, a person who hates, who everyone hates him because he's a sinner. He's associated with sinners. He's associated with people who are lawless and who are broken. He has a past that you couldn't believe and he's the scum of the earth. That's how people describe tax collectors in the New Testament is they're at the bottom of the bottom and Jesus decides not to call a person who is holy or righteous, but decides to call a man who is completely broken. 
He doesn't care about his past and he doesn't care what's happened to him and he doesn't care what he's done. He looks at him and he says, Levi, he, he looks at him. He doesn't even say his name. He just looks at him. It's kind of like when you, everybody grew up in church where you had like that, prof- that prophetic person or that prophet or that guest preacher and they start giving like words on stage and they start calling out people in like a purple hoodie and you're the only one in the purple hoodie and you start looking as if someone else has a purple hoodie and no one has a purple hoodie. Jesus passes by and looks at Levi and says, you. And Levi's like, me? And he's like, yeah, you. And Levi's probably like, there's no way that the God of the universe wants to have a conversation with me. Do you not know who I am, Jesus? Do you not know how broken I was? Do you not know what I've done? Do you not know who I've stolen? Do you not know the people that I hang out with? Do you not know the association that I have? And Jesus is like, I don't care. Let me go ahead and give you an opportunity to follow me. Why? Because Jesus exchanges our moments with God moments. And if there's anything that you would learn from today's conversation, it would be this, that you need to understand that it doesn't matter what you've been through and it doesn't matter what's happened in your life, that if you would be willing to let God exchange your old moments, he will trade you and give you God moments. He will give you something you would never ask or imagine. He says that he came to give you life and life more abundantly, meaning this, that all the things that happened before that were death and decay to your spirit and your soul, God says, give him to me, I'll trade you. And so Levi has a decision to make and he has to look at Jesus. And in that moment, either decide to sit at the table of sin and complacency and shame and guilt and stay there, or he can get up from the table and follow the person that's gonna give him real life. Because this is what Jesus does. Jesus calls. Jesus calls broken people. Jesus uses the foolish things to shame the wise. Jesus isn't looking for perfection. He's looking for willingness. I say that all the time because I mean it because that's the story of my life and it's the story of Levi's life. And and this is what I believe, that Levi, when he was sitting at that table, his name meant Levi. His name meant heart of hearing. Matthew means gift from God. Jesus changes Levi's name from Levi to Matthew. I believe that it's when Levi stood up and followed Jesus that God changed his name. Oh, come on, you gotta catch this. Levi sat, Jesus called, Matthew followed. Oh, this is, this. Mm. Levi sat, Levi, the old person, the old sinner, the old brokenness, the old shame, the old guilt, the old identity, the design that was tampered by the world, the person who never thought he had a purpose or future in life sat in a table of shame and guilt and mess and brokenness. Jesus, the God of the universe, the glorious one, the one who rose again from the third day and died for our sin, the one who put the universe in order, the one who is the complete embodiment of the Trinity decides to pass by a random person one day by a guy who is messed up like Levi and he tells him two words, come and follow me. And what happens? He gets up and Matthew follows, the apostle of the church, the one who would end up writing the Matthew of gospel, the one who would get martyred in India, the one who everything changes. And next thing you know, the trajectory of Matthew's life is no longer what it used to be, sitting at a table every day of sin and shame and guilt. But now it's completely different because God does things different when you decide to let him change your moments with his moments. 
And I came to tell someone online or in the room today that you might have had some moments in your life that didn't make sense, that were painful, that were broken. It might have been your fault or it might have been someone else's fault. It doesn't matter because if you would let Jesus trade you out, I know you got a bad hand. I know that what you went through was hard. I know the pain that you felt to a degree. I don't know it exactly. I know what it's like to feel lost and broken and confused. But I thank God that Jesus comes to set people free. Remember when you were a little kid and you would get lunch from your mom maybe and she would pack you, you know, some stuff, an apple, banana, sandwich, a Lunchable if you were bougie, come on. That's a millennial thing for sure. And there would always be something maybe you didn't like in your lunchbox. I said, what would you do? You'd find a friend and you would say, hey, what you got? Oh, what's up? You got some Pringles? I'll trade you. I'll trade you something that I don't like for something better. I feel like God would tell you that today. Hey, I'll trade you. I'll trade you. Yeah, give me your shame. Give me your chaos. Give me your sin. Give me your unforgiveness. Give me your guilt. Give me your brokenness. Give me the lies. Give, me, give, give it to me. Give it, I'll trade you. I'll exchange it. I'll trade you. I'll trade you. I'll give you life. I'll give you peace. I'll give you joy. I'll give you hope. I'll give you a future. I'll give you love. I'll give you grace. But you got to trade me. You got to give me the thing that you've been holding on to for so long. You got you to let me switch it out. And I'm not saying it's going to go away completely. I'm not saying the thing that you went through is all of a sudden going to disappear. No. But the difference is, is now my life is so much more different than my past. Not because I did it myself, but because Jesus decided to step on the scene. And I am no longer the person who I used to be. Because Jesus is the one who came and rescued me and transformed me from the inside out and is transforming me from the inside out. And I am coming into the reality of all that God has called me to be. And I will continue to live day by day in that reality because I remember what it was like without Him. I remember what it was like without Jesus. And family, I'm not going back. And what the enemy will do is he will try to use your past to keep you from your future. We say that a lot here, but I feel like you, someone really needs to hear that. What, is he, what do I mean by use your past? He will bring up old memories, bring back old people, manipulate feelings of your emotions from what happened to you back in the day. He will let you sit in it, saturate in it, and next thing you know, you are sitting in pain, shame, and guilt instead of allowing the presence of God to heal you, and now you are isolated, caged in a cage that you put yourself, and now you feel like no one cares and no one loves you, and it has stopped and stifled the calling of God on your life. When Jesus says, give it to me, I'll trade you. Come on, Levi, come follow me. Come on, Chris, come follow me. 
Come on, son. Come on, daughter. Come follow me. But, 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 but I, I got to leave the table. I know. But, 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 but Chris, the table's comfy. That, I, got, I got the best chair. It reclines. My table's dope. I got it from Ikea. That's a great table. You don't know how long it cost me this table. You don't know the scars I've gotten on this table. You don't know the pain I've had on this table. You don't know the things I've carved in the table. You don't know the lies that I went through on this table. And Jesus is like, I know everything you went through on the table. You're not called to sit at the table. You're called to follow me. And I believe God would ask the same question of us today. Hey, I'll trade you. Come follow me. I'll trade you, but come follow me. I'll give you life, but come follow me. Come, come leave your table. Come follow me. Stand to your feet with me, everyone. Come on, stand to your feet. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.